Welcome to Finding Medina. Bonus episode, the original Texas Declaration of Independence. I'm Brandon Seal. When I first learned about the existence of an 1813 Texas Declaration of Independence, I knew it was important and that I needed to read it. Like many of the events covered in this series, however, it often gets glossed over in surveys of the period, if it's mentioned at all. And I was only more intrigued when after a year or so of searching, I still couldn't find the document. I found a few historians who made reference to it, and a few excerpts here and there, but the complete document, both in its original Spanish and in English, eluded me. Finally, I turned to my friend and publisher in Mexico City, Cesar Gutierrez, to help me out. He ended up having to go to the Archivo General de la Nación himself, personally, to dig through their dusty files and locate a copy of the declaration that had been forwarded by Arredondo back to the Viceroy in Mexico City. It was an incredible find, and a picture of its first page serves as the cover image for this episode. For the first time that I know of, this document is now being made available to the public on the Rivard Report webpage for this episode, in both Spanish and English. But that's not all. As I read this document, it was clear to me as well that it was intended to be read aloud, to be performed for audiences throughout Texas, Mexico, and the United States awaiting news from the Texas front. And so I wanted to try and recreate that for you. Joe Arciniega is a family friend. When Joe left San Antonio, and later Texas as a youth, to pursue a very successful career in the tech industry on the West Coast, he left behind seven generations of San Antonio heritage. Fortunately for us, he was eventually called back to the land of his ancestors, who include the Arciniega, Arrocha, and Delgado families, all of whom figure prominently in the events of this series. Indeed, we'll meet his direct ancestor, Clemente Delgado, in a rather tragic context in a future reading. So interestingly, back in his younger years, before Joe was an executive at Microsoft, before he was named Laredo Inn of the Year in 2018 for his service to the Alzheimer's Association, before he was named an icon of the arts by the Laredo Theater Guild, young Joe Arciniega actually trained and worked as an actor. This isn't actually that surprising if you've met Joe. When you hear him talk, even if it's just over a cup of coffee, the quality and richness of his voice just, well, you'll see. When Joe read the 1813 Texas Declaration of Independence, he agreed as well that it needed to be recorded and shared with the world. And so we sat down a few weeks ago in IMG Studios offices to record this document. I blocked off four hours of studio time, not knowing how long it would take us to record the 1,600-word document. For reference, it would normally take me about 45 minutes to an hour to record that amount of content, and that's typically a highly chopped up 45 to 60 minutes as well, as I play with the text and perform different takes and revise and cut and insert and edit. Well, Joe had reread the 1813 Declaration so many times and internalized its spirit so deeply that he ripped out the entire document in about 15 minutes over the course of only three uninterrupted takes. With that, let me get out of the way of this text. Sit back and listen to the words of the original Texas Declaration of Independence as read by a direct descendant of the men participating and frankly helping lead the events happening in Texas at that time. <laughs> 
Joe Arciniega. We, the people of the province of Texas, swearing by the supreme judge of the universe, the rightness of our intentions, declare that the binds that have held us beneath the domination of European Spain are forever broken. That we are free and independent. That we have the right to establish our own government and that going forward, all legitimate authority arises from the people and to the people alone belongs the right to govern. That from here on out, we are forever free of duty or obligation to any foreign power. A decent respect for our own dignity and to the opinions of the world requires that we relate the causes that have brought about this measure. A lengthy series of occurrences arising from the lunacy, the wickedness, and the corruption, de la locura, de la maldad, y de la corrupción of our rulers in Spain has reduced that kingdom to a state of bloody war between two competing powers, fighting for control of the crown and control of the weak remnants of government. In either case, both the substance and the form of true sovereignty has been lost. In such condition, the kingdom finds itself unable to defend its own peninsula, much less her distant colonies. These colonists are those abandoned to the control of immoral men who seek only to abuse their authority, knowing they will never be held to account for their rapacity. Since the moment of our abandonment, the natural law of self-preservation, that most sacred privilege of human creation, has made necessary the measures we now take. The world recognizes that we have suffered sufficiently from the oppression and privation to which we have been subject for too long. Governments are instituted for the well-being and happiness of the communities they govern and not for the enrichment of a few individuals. When this end is perverted and the government becomes a tool of oppression, the people have the right to change it to one better adapted to their needs. Men are born free and begin their lives from the same point. They are formed in the image of their Creator, to whom alone they must humble themselves. Who will say that we have not rightly arrived at the end of our patience, that we are more than justified in choosing now a new form of government and casting off the rulers under whom we have not been able 
realize our own happiness? We have been ruled by rude intruders, animated in their posts only by the hope of taking from us all we own. We have been denied all form of participation in national and municipal affairs. We have felt the injustice of a jealous tyrant who has sought to prohibit all form of communication with other nations, in particular with those nations that might serve as examples to our own eyes of what could be. We have been denied books, the right to speak, and even the right to think. Our nation has been our prison in a province that nature has so favored with her bounty. We are poor, having been denied even the right to cultivate and harvest the fruits of our own farms. The business of our nation has been sold to the favorites of the court. Monopolies have compounded our suffering by exacting their excessive tolls from our pockets. And from petty jealousy, our superiors have demonstrated a barbarous and vengeful inhospitality to our American neighbors, joined to us by blood and by bonds even more sacred. We have been forbidden to realize the products of our own industry. All trade is labeled contraband, and all paths to public service and honor have been made unavailable to us. We have been denied posts in the army, which we support with our own sweat. Even to the soul of our country, we have been refused. Denied office and promotion within the church to which we have forever been faithful and obedient sons. We go about in rags and hungry because there is no incentive to engage in agriculture or manufacturing. The government monopolies and requirements to use a stamped paper only add to the list of abuses and iniquities encouraged by our own infamous government. For far less did the people of the United States shake off the yoke of tyranny and declare their independence. And the result has been prosperity under current Splendor. Our loss, by contrast, are derived from a century of corruption and a time of even greater despotism than that of the Roman Empire placed into effect by corrupt tribunals. Justice is sold openly. A criminal proceeding goes on for half as long as a human life. Individuals are frequently arrested on frivolous charges, denunciations, and suspect loss, whereafter they end up forgotten in the darkness of their jail cells. An extended sleep 
and a state of indifference is natural after such long suffering. Yet it has left us numb, and we remain humbled and prostrate before our government, reduced so far below our condition that we dare not even think of trying to improve our lot. And on top of it, we find our own Spanish king overthrown. We saw what happened to our homeland, assaulted on the one hand by a powerful empire, seduced on the other hand in spite of her weakness into a destructive war of defense. We went along, forgetting our past suffering, the innumerable offenses, the unjust and unfair calumnies. We were so absorbed by our attachment to our homeland that we ran to the assistance of our capital like faithful and submissive vassals. And in return for our loyal services, a tyrant thirsty for human blood and distinguished only by his lack of distinction in his home country, was sent among us. He combined cruel action with insatiable greed. He heightened the oppression of the estate, and such was his cunning that he was able to deceive us for some time, convincing us that a new parliament would respect our rights and address our grievances and that our representatives would be received in the capital. Yet time has shown the falseness of these promises. And what deputation was sent from these provinces was soon drowned out by European influence. A few miserable usurpers of the scepter of the Spanish crown sold us to a foreign power at the depths of our disgrace, all in order to better subjugate us to their will and their whims. They handed over everything, the products of many years of our labor, and repaid our forced generosity with oppression, cruelty and the most shameful slavery, la más vergonzosa esclavitud. Before us, the colonies of South America have opened their eyes and declared themselves independent. We find ourselves among the last to take this important step. And we have found ourselves obliged as much for ourselves as for posterity to direct our efforts toward a regeneration of the Mexican people, el pueblo mexicano, freeing ourselves of the weight of foreign domination, taking in our own hands the reins of our government, promulgating just laws founded on natural law and creating tribunals administered by honest and pure-hearted men. By this means, we aim to secure the prosperity of our nation, and to secure for our nation an honored station amongst the nations of the world. 
as such, in order to provide for the general welfare, to ensure domestic tranquility, to effect our independence with all appropriate dignity, and to avoid confusion and delay, we take up the voice of the people as individuals and grant our illustrious liberator, Señor Don Bernardo Gutierrez de Lara, General-in-Chief of the Mexican Republican Army of the North, the power to select on our behalf a president, six counselors, and a secretary to form collectively a junta, invested with our complete authority, and to create in our name a nation, to establish a government for that nation, to treat with foreign nations, to maintain harmonious relationships with neighboring states and those in the interior of the Republic of Mexico, to provision an army and to zealously defend our holy religion as well as justice, reason, and the sacred rights of man. It shall be the obligation of those seven members of the Junta to select by a plurality of their votes a governor with the title of president, who shall hold executive authority for the provisional government of the state of Texas and such other powers as may be prescribed by the Constitution to come. It shall be the obligation of the Junta to regulate commerce, to police the interior, to promulgate laws, and to arm and provision the armies of the state of Texas, supported by the full faith and credit of the state. Similarly, the Junta shall exercise in public such legal functions as necessary until such time as a general congress of the Mexican Republic shall be formed to otherwise delegate those authorities. In order to give greater weight to this declaration and to inspire due confidence in our new nation, we each and all solemnly swear before the Holy Ghost before our brothers throughout this republic and before the universe at large, that we will defend and sustain to the very end, hasta la última extremidad, our new nation and the principles upon which it was founded with our fortunes and our lives. San Antonio de Bejar, 6 de abril de 1813, the third year of our Mexican independence. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out the webpage associated with this podcast on the Rivard Report at rivardreport.com. And please, Continue to leave your comments or questions for the community to see what new information we can bring out into the light about the Battle of Medina, especially if you have information that we don't. Also, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe and leave us a review. Because if everyone who listened to this series left a review, 
it would launch these important historical events to the top of the charts. A special thanks this episode to my friends Heather and James Chandler at IMG Studios here in San Antonio for helping us record Joe's reading. Editing for this episode was performed by Susana Canseco, sound engineering by Stephen Bennett. A special thanks to my friend George Gaitan for letting us use his music on this series. You can find out more about him at georgegaitan.tripod.com. Thanks to my SWCA research buddies, Crystal Allgood, Rob Lakowitz, and Zachary Overfield, as well as to former San Antonio City archaeologist Kay Hines. Thanks to Brian Stauffer, our unofficial old Spanish document transcriber, to Samantha Alanis, our cartographer-in-chief, to Cesar Gutierrez, our unofficial Archivo General de la Nación researcher, and to UTSA's Dean of Libraries, Dean Hendricks, our all-other document finder. And for more information about our podcast and other projects, check out www.brandonseal.com. Thank you.